Appreciate y'all. Happy Father's Day. My, I walked down this morning at 4.30 and I uh, got ready to leave and Sue had my traditional Father's Day gift out, which is Krispy Kreme donuts and had them sitting there. But for some reason, every year up to now, it's been a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and this year it was a half a dozen. I cannot, I cannot understand the difference um, the board just gave us a raise so I can afford it, but I don't know why. <laughs> Appreciate you, dads, and uh, what you do. I think dads, I, I, I used to, like most pastors, I get on Mother's Day, I'd preach a Mother's Day sermon, Father's Day, I'd preach a Father's Day sermon, and I don't know, I, I just don't do that anymore. And, and, uh, and one of the reasons I don't do it is because I look back at all my Mother's Day sermon, and we were extolling how great mothers are and I looked at my father's day sermons and was just like dad can't you do it a little bit better than that and so I'm not sure that's the right way to treat uh, either one of those so let's uh, let's talk about the summer on the mouth that's a sermon series that we're in um, we're going to spend probably uh, till school starts with the sermon on the mouth so we're calling it the summer on the mouth we started last Sunday went through the Beatitudes, which is like the first 12 verses, kind of a flyby on the Beatitudes last week. And we want to narrow down on another passage of Scripture as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to kind of go through it verse by verse. It's just kind of what pops out at me. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is, verse, is Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. Also repeated and paraphrased, not at all at the same length in Luke chapter 6 as well. Let me start this morning with asking a question. Who are you? I'm not asking your name. Um, I'm not, if your name is Greg, I'm not saying uh, who are you and you say Greg. No, uh, who are you? If somebody asked you a question about who are you, what would you say? What kind of response would you give on that? It tells us a little bit about your uh, identity, how you see yourself. Most people would respond with, uh, uh, who are you? Most people would respond with uh, something like someone, something they do. Who are you? Well, I'm a pastor. Who are you? Well, I'm a business owner. Who are you? Well, I'm a mother. Who are you? Well, I'm a wife or I'm a dad or whatever it may be. Uh, and I want to go a little bit deeper than that this morning and uh, ask you a question, who are you? Or I'm wording it another way, if we were at, you've gone to some meeting somewhere before or a convention or something maybe, and they passed out these little name tags, and, and the, the name tag would, uh, would say something like, hello, my name is, or hello, I am. So if you could not put your name there, you can't put, hello, I am Susie. What would you put? Seriously, hello, I am. And what you would write on that would tell us a little bit about how you see yourself, would tell us a little bit about where you get your identity, where, where, where you get good feelings about yourself, your self-esteem, how you see yourself is a lot of your identity. I was speaking a while back in my office with someone who was having some family issues. Um, this was an adult son 
of a, of a father who had left the family and taken up with another woman. And so we were talking about that and the dynamics of that and his role in trying to help family members and his mother get through that. And one of the things that he said was, with dad gone, mom doesn't know who she is anymore. Because her identity was in being his wife and our mom. She's still our mom, but the family is not that same way anymore. So she's viewing motherhood differently and indeed viewing her status. She's no longer the wife. He has since remarried. And he says, mom doesn't know who she is anymore. Because her identity was in someone or something that could be taking away, taken away from her. Hello, I am a pastor. If that's where my identity is, when I no longer am a pastor, what's that do to me? Hello, I am a, a business owner. When I retire or when my business goes under or whatever, who am I? And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about who you are and especially who you are in Jesus Christ. And the Bible has lots to say about that. Now, we get our identity from a lots of different places. Yeah, we get it from who we do, what we do. We also get it from other people. We get it from our parents. We get it from... Uh, teachers, we get it from our peers, we get it from employers, people say things about us. We get our identity from, from other people many times and that obviously is not the most healthy place to get your identity. We get our identity sometimes out of the hurt and pain that's in our life. Hello, I am an alcoholic. We get our identity from hurt or pain or challenges that we go through. Hello, I am an addict. Hello, I am divorced. Hello, I am a cancer survivor. Some people get their identity through challenges and hurts and pains that they have gone through. Some people get the identity from the media. Um, the media tells us some things. We've got to own this kind of car or we've got to live in this kind of house or wear this kind of clothes or take that kind of vacation. Uh, we, our identity, and I don't, this is a little bit of exaggeration, but I have two teenage boys and understand how important likes are on Facebook. Okay? And none of us, I guess, would be immune to putting something on Facebook and having people like that. We, we like that. But I wonder how much our, the media many times influences who we are. Um, how many times the Bible talks about, it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Our, our thoughts many times can determine our identity. And our thoughts come from, they may just come from me and my humanness. They may come from God. We call that inspiration. They may come from the evil one. They may come from the devil. We call that temptation. And if I have thoughts from the devil of, 
of worthlessness. I have thoughts from the devil of God will never forgive that. I have thoughts from the devil of I can't ever let anyone know that. I have thoughts that I have to, I've got to earn God's approval. I'm not good enough for God to fill in the blank, whatever it may be. Now, when we have thoughts go through our heads, we don't have to hold on to them. We don't have to revel in them. We don't have to think about them, but thoughts just go through our mind. And and sometimes the things that we think, we become many times what we think and obviously what we believe about ourselves. Who are you? Identity is a huge thing because of this. This is a book. This is a book that explains God and the sending of his son Jesus Christ so that we, we may become Christians, we may become saved, whatever terminology you want to put on that. But you can't get around also that this is a book about behavior. You just can't get around that. And it's not primarily a book about behavior and then, you know, you got to behave a certain way and then you're a child of God. No, it's not primarily about that. But you cannot read through much of the Bible without understanding this is a book about behavior. God wants us to behave in a certain way. And the key to that in identity is identity many times determines behavior. I, the way I see myself many times determines my behavior. When, when someone gets married and they become a husband and they are now have a new identity, they're a husband. They, the I do's have been said, the pronouncement is made and they're a husband. Now their identity has changed. And because they're a husband, their behavior at least should change. And most people, when they get married, their behavior changes. Certainly when you become a dad, your behavior, I can't do that anymore. I shouldn't say that anymore. I probably shouldn't go there anymore. I should probably go here. How many, how many times do moms, how many times do husband and wife has a kid and all of a sudden they start going to church? Why? Because they're parents. And they think they have a new identity. And in that identity, it's changed their behavior in some way. You see, this identity thing is really crucial because identity determines behavior. I can remember when I was the basketball coach in Virginia Beach and I had a six foot six kid on my team. And he was one of the tallest kids in, in our league. And he wasn't that great of a basketball player. He was kind of slow, but he was six foot six. And you can just accomplish some things on the basketball floor at six foot six. But he never ever saw himself as six foot six he just he was he never viewed himself as the tallest man on the court and that affected the way he played it was his his identity the way he saw himself determined his behavior I can remember I was involved with the University of Kentucky's basketball program for three years and and I can remember it was an opening game of the year. And I don't know what year, one it, was, year it was. It was probably like 81 or 82 somewhere. And, and it was an opening game against some Patsy team. And so the starters had a 40-point lead with, I don't know, five minutes to go or something like that. And so Coach Hall took the, the starters out and put some of the freshmen and substitutes in. And a 40-point lead went down to a 20-point lead pretty by the end of the game. So instead of a 40-point win, it's a 20-point win. We went to the locker room after the game. Coach Hall come in the locker room and looked at those freshmen and those subs he put in. He says, you don't understand where you are. 
You don't understand who you are. He said, you've got Kentucky written across your chest. See what he's trying to do? See what he's trying to do? He was trying to get them identify that they were a part of the University of Kentucky basketball program, arguably one of the best two or three in the country. And he says, this needs to determine your behavior on the court. 40-point leads don't go to 20 around here. I've showed you this before, what I'm getting ready to show you. Uh, my dad gave me a plaque when I was about, um, I don't know, a teenager or something. And it's a plaque that anybody can buy, and I'm sure you can go on Amazon and search for it on Google and be able to find that plaque. But this plaque, I didn't know it then, obviously, had something to do with identity. You have that, screen, that shot up here? Now, what, what is above there that you don't see is you would put in your last name. Obviously, above that for ours, it's, it's Atherton, okay? And so, uh, for any of yours, it may say Beam, it may say McAfee, it may say Horton, it may say Smith, it may say whatever, okay? And so, Dad gave this to me. He says, you got it from your father. That would be the name that's above that. You got it from your father. It was all he had to give. So, it's yours to use and cherish as long as you may live. If you lose the watch he gave you, it can always be replaced, but a black mark on your name, son, can never be erased. It was clean the day you took it and a worthy name to bear. When he got it from his father, there was no dishonor there. And so, so make sure you guard it wisely after all is said and done. You'll be glad the name is spotless when you give it to your son. Now, what was my dad trying to do there? He said, you have an identity. And at least one of the identities you have is that you're an Atherton. And my dad was trying to teach me as a young teenager that means something in our family. And now it means more to me now at 60 years old than I'm sure it meant to me at 13. But he was trying to make sure that I knew who I was because identity determines behavior. Colossians chapter 3 um, talks about the identity that we have in Christ. You know, the Bible doesn't call you a Christian very often. Maybe three places in the New Testament is even the word Christian used. And that's, I'm not saying it's a bad word. I'm not saying you should stop using it. I'm not, it's just the Bible doesn't use that word Christian as our identity very often. Many times what it uses is the phrase, over 40 times what it uses is the phrase, in Christ. In Christ. We are in Christ. And, and the apostle uses it here. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Next slide. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Who are you? You know how on Facebook sometimes, you know, you have your name on Facebook, then it says right below, you can put a little bio. Now what I have on mine is, it says Mark Atherton, then what I have on mine, it says Christian, comma, husband, comma, father, comma, pastor. That's the way... I endeavor to see myself and in that order. Because if I get that out of order, all of those things won't operate well. Sue needs me to be Christian 
first in my identity. Because I will only come halfway close to being the husband she needs and deserves if I see myself first as being a Christian. My boys need to understand that they need to be third. Christian, husband, father. Because if I get that messed up, I'm not, in any way, if I put husband first, if I put father first, if I get that jumbled up in any way, I'm not going to be the dad that I should be to Christopher and Levi. And if for some reason I get really messed up and put what I do for a living first, I'm a pastor, and that's before husband, Christian, and father, then I sure won't be the type of pastor that you all want me to be and that you need me to be. Our identity in Christ is supreme. We need to believe. I said this last week, I think, and I'll repeat it. And this is not original with me. We need to believe what God says about us, no matter how good it is. And in the Sermon on the Mount, right after the Beatitudes, He says something unbelievable about us. We start talking right there in Matthew chapter 5, the New Testament, we get the first glimpse of this concept of our identity in Christ. That my identity is in Christ. And what God says about me is more important than anything else in my life. Yes, I've got a lot of baggage. Yes, that means there's a lot lot of things still have happened to me. I don't put on rose-colored glasses and and pretend those haven't happened to me. Yes, those things happened to me. I may have been sexually abused. I may have gone through a divorce. I may have gone through a broken home. I may have gotten fired. I may have gone through bankruptcy. There could be a whole slew of things behind me that are, they happened and we're not, turning a blind eye to truth, but the most important thing about me is what God says about me. Not what has happened to me in my life, no matter how good those things may be or no matter how bad those things may be. What God says about you is more important than anything else that you would think about yourself or anyone else would think about yourself and he says in Matthew chapter 5 can you believe this he says in Matthew chapter 5 that you if, if you're a Christian he was speaking to his disciples you if you've been born again if you've repented and accepted Christ and leaning on his sacrifice for payment of your penalty if that has happened to you he goes you're the salt of the earth notice He doesn't say, go out there and be salty. He doesn't say, you are called to be salt. Now go be salt. It doesn't say, you're not being salty enough. Get out there and be better salt. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, you're salt. And you're the salt of the earth. That's the way God sees us. Let's all say we don't see ourselves that way sometimes. Let's all admit that. But 
if God sees me that way, shouldn't I see myself the way God sees me? Oh, yeah, I I know I shouldn't have done that yesterday. I know I should have used a better tone of voice yesterday. I shouldn't have said that yesterday. I know that my life is not absolutely spotless, but he looks at me, he sees me as a salt of the earth. Now, I'm quick to say that some people in this church that have gray hair, they're salt of the earth. We're quick to say that. Yeah, well, over there, over here. Oh, yeah, he's a salt of the earth right there, let me tell you. We're quick to say that. And it's usually somebody that's lived a little bit. But will we say what God says about us? You're the salt of the earth. And the you is a plural you. It could be, he was talking to his disciples. He wasn't just saying, Peter, you're the salt of the earth. Matthew, you're the salt of the earth. John, you're the, no, it's a plural you, meaning it could be translated, you all are the salt of the earth. And I have a sneaking suspicion, if I truly believe that, I think that changes my behavior. (laughs) I have a sneaking suspicion, if I believe that as much as I believe John 3.16, and that's as much a part of God's Word as John 3.16, that is no less true than John 3.16 is true. And the Bible says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Oh, no, I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe, they've been a Christian like for 30 years. Maybe they're, but no, this is what the Bible says about you. And then you have the choice whether you're going to take this by faith or not. And the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. You don't feel like the salt, the salt of the earth. You don't feel like the light of the world. You may not see too salty of type of behavior in your life. You may see some old behavior that's still hanging on in your life. But the Father sees you hidden in Christ. The Father sees you hidden in Christ. And you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 15, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. At the start of the New Testament here, five chapters in the New Testament, we get a little bit of glimpse of our identity in Christ. Now, we could take the whole sermon and talk about all the different things that the Bible says about us in Christ. And I'll do a little bit at the end, end of the message. But we start right here in the Sermon on the Mount, and it says to you, if you're a Christian, I'm not talking about you if you're just coming to church. I'm not talking about you if you're just trying to uh, clean up your act a little bit and come to church because your wife wants you to. I'm not talking about that. If you've repented of your sins, been born again, and you know you have accepted Jesus Christ uh, as the Lord and Savior of your life, and you know you're trusting on Him and Him alone for payment of your Sin, the Bible says, you're the salt of the earth. Can I be honest with you? I don't think I preach this very well. I really don't. And I wonder if the reason I don't preach it very well is, do I really believe it? Hmm. 
because I don't always feel salty and I don't always feel like I have a lot of that I am the salt of the earth but God pronounces that upon me what does it mean to be salt I, I think we could spend a lot of time on it I think the best guess that we understand on what it means to be salt the best guess that we understand is the fact salt was a preservative they had no refrigerators back then and they had to rub their meat down with salt and it would delay the decay it would slow the spoilage we don't know because salt could be a lot of different things but I, I, I think probably the best thing that that is meaning for us is somehow we are preservatives as well in this old world we can slow the decay we can slow the spoilage just by being in this world the Bible says the Bible says that this world is really not going to get better. It's going to get worse until Jesus comes. The Bible says that plainly. But by us being Christian, are we being salt that can slow the decay? Are we being salt that can slow the spoilage, delay the decay of this world? Never, ever underestimate the difference you make you may not feel like you're making a difference maybe God doesn't want us to feel like it because maybe it goes to our heads and we'll start thinking we're super duper saints I don't know sometimes people come into me and they said Mark you said something remember remember what you preached back in August and I'll say no I don't remember and 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 if you've never been a preacher you don't understand that but uh and they'll say well you preached on da 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 and Mark, Mark, I just, that just impacted me, and I've been different ever since. And I didn't know. I'd... And maybe if I'd known that I did that, I would have gotten cocky with that. You are the salt. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the, of the world. What's the light do? Light reveals. The light reveals. You, you, can, you can have a... Uh, flashlight and reveals what's really there uh, as, as Christians we reveal the truth light dispels darkness you can have a totally dark room totally pitch black dark room and one little match will give an unbelievable amount of light in that room the darkness that's in this world don't ever discount at your workplace in your neighborhood in your family what we're doing as salt and light to dispel don't to dispel darkness don't ever doubt that God is using us and we probably don't even know that do you believe that you're salt if you don't you don't believe what God says about you God's vision for you is that you are salt and that you are light light directs you ever been on an airplane late at night and it's pitch black and you know, how is this guy ever going to get this airplane down because it's pitch black and pretty soon off you can see some lights of a city and then okay you see the lights of the city but how's he going to find the airport and then all of a sudden he gets closer and you see those runway lights man and you see them light directs as we direct people to Jesus the truth light warns you got a lighthouse 
that's sitting close to the bank so ships won't bump into it. Light is there to warn them. Police lights. You, you're, dri you're driving and you look up the way and you see three or four bunch, whole bunch of police lights. You immediately stop because something's not the way it's supposed to be. It warns and as light we warn about the dangers of a life without Christ. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Do you see yourself the way God sees you? Or do you refuse to believe that? One thing about salt and one thing about light, it needs to be visible. The, the verse says, if the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? So it needs to be doing what it's supposed to do. And a salt can only do what it's supposed to do if it's out of the shaker. If it's, in our terminology, scattered. Salt in a shaker does no good whatsoever. Light does no good whatsoever if it's under a bushel. No good whatsoever. Our, our deeds, the Bible says, are supposed to be visible. Because salt is supposed to be tasted and light is supposed to be seen. <laughs> so our discipleship is not secret. Our discipleship is not secret. I probably could take you through 50 verses that talk about your identity in Christ and my identity in Christ. I've only given you two. Let's talk just about a few more. And then we'll go home. John 1.12 is the first one we have. Yet to all who did receive him, that would be Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Hello, I am a child of God. Hello, I am an adopted child of God, Romans chapter 8. Hello, I am a son or daughter of God my father in heaven who, who are you if I hadn't prompted you on that today and said you can't write your name would you have responded in a Christian manner would you have responded theologically correct would you have responded in a biblical manner or would you have responded in some kind of a secular way well I'm a, I'm a pastor that would be a secular response I'm a business owner. That'd be a secular response. It's true. I know that. Especially if that's the way you see yourself. But biblically, the truth about yourself, if you are born again, if you are a Christian, is, hello, I'm a child of God. Hello, I've been adopted by my Father in heaven. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You know how God sees you? You may not always feel like a new creation. You know how God sees you? Therefore, if any man, using the generic sense, of course, if any man or woman, boy or girl, is in Christ, in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things have gone away, and the new has come. You know those old, old things? That, you know, it really happened to you. you. You really did have two failed marriages. We're not making believe here. But that's not, he, he doesn't look down at you and said, look, there's, there's that woman that's got two failed marriages. 
If it's really happened to you that you've been born again, if you've been accepted into the family by faith in Jesus Christ, look at her. She's a new creation. The old, the old is gone. Now, it takes a lifetime for us to figure that out. I really believe that. Part of discipleship is for us to really start figuring, trying to figure out what that really means in my life. Do I see myself as this divorced person? Do I see myself as this person who was sexually abused? Do I see myself as this person who filed bankruptcy three times? Do I see myself as this person with two failed marriages? Do I see myself as this person who fill in the blank? Or do I see myself biblically? I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. Well, where'd it go, Mark? I, I don't know. Um, it's, in his mind, it's just gone. Maybe with my sins, cast as far as away as the east is from the west. I just think, friends, I just think if we can, if we can get a hold of this, and in 25 years of, of, of ministry and about 28 years of being a Christian, I don't know if I've really gotten a hold of it. And I surely don't think I preach it well. But I just have a feeling that if we believe this about ourselves, the behavior stuff will follow. The behavior stuff will follow. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For the Spirit gave us, <clears throat> for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid. Hello, I'm fearful. No. Not if you trust God. Hello, I'm timid. Um, hello, I'm afraid of what tomorrow will hold. Well, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Hello, I have the Spirit of God in me that allows me to love, that allows me to have power to do what he's called me to do, that allows me to have self-discipline, to say no to Krispy Kreme donuts at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> Romans 8, chapter 1. Um, hello, I am not under condemnation. Hello, I am free from condemnation. You know all those things? You know that thing I did when I was 18? I am under no condemnation for that anymore. You know that, you know that pornography? You know that adultery? You, you, you know how I treated that one girl when I, when I was 20 and she was 19? You know, I, I'm under no condemnation. I'm under no condemnation. Jesus didn't come in the world to condemn the world, the Bible says, but to save it. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And verse 2 says, Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Here's the one I like coming up right now, Colossians 1.14. <laughs> in whom, that'd be Jesus, speaking of Jesus right before that, in whom, in him, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Hello, I am forgiven. Hello, I am forgiven. And the devil put something in my head about what I did back there when I was 22. And I said, you know what, I did do that, but I'm forgiven. Get away from me. That's not true of me anymore. I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. 
the old has gone. Hello, I'm forgiven. And when the devil brings up things, my dad told me once, and dad was in his 70s by this time, and he said, he said, the devil's been bringing up something that I did when I was, and I don't remember, it was like early 20s. That was, dad was 70, okay? Hello, devil. I'm forgiven. Get away from me. There is no condemnation. I'm under no condemnation for that. Well, you did it. Yeah, I know I did it, but I'm a new creation in Christ, and the old is gone and the new has come. The battle is right here. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Taking out the stinking thinking and replacing it with the truth of God's word. Philippians chapter 1. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I may, hello, hello, I am a work that Jesus Christ has promised to complete. Hello, I'm a work that God has promised through his word to bring to completion in my life. Well, I shouldn't have done, I know that, but I'm a work that God has promised to complete. Well, you shouldn't have said it that way. I know that, but I'm a work that God has promised to complete. It's not yet complete. He will bring it to completion in my life. And you can, you can talk bad about me all you want to, but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm a work that he has promised to complete. I don't understand what this next one means. I don't know how to teach it to you at all. But Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't really don't know a good way to be able to teach that to you. But my identity, one of the ways that the Bible talks about me one of the things that Jesus says about me, one of the things that God sees me as is a citizen of heaven. Do I live by faith in the truth of God's word or do I live by the way I feel? Do I live by sight? Do I live by my emotions? Romans eight twenty eight says, there's nothing that can come into my life that God will not take it and use it for good. There's some bad that can come in my life. Everything that comes in my life is not good. Everything that comes in my life is not good. You're not hearing me say everything that comes in your life is good. But he has promised to take everything and use it for good. Uh, hello. Hello. I'm one that God is turning all things for good in my life. Yeah, bad things have happened to me. Things that I never, ever, ever wish that happened to me, and I wouldn't wish on anyone, but I know, I don't know how he's going to use it, but I know he's going to take all those things and use it somehow for good. Maybe it helps somebody else. Philippians 4.13 is our last one. And whatever God needs me to do, I can do. Hello, I'm capable of doing all God asks of me because he's not going to ask anything of me that I'm not capable of doing through his grace and strength. Through his grace and strength. Now, this doesn't mean that I can, 
jump off the roof today and go fly. God had, God's got no desire for that to happen to me. But whatever he wants me to do, go ask forgiveness from my wife, go ask uh, to do whatever it may be, I have the strength, I have the ability to do those things through Christ who will give me the strength to do that. Hello, I'm capable of doing everything God asks of me through his grace and through his strength. What's your name? Who are you? Some of you young kids, I don't have time to play it, but some of you young kids remember the song, Matthew West song. It says, hello, my name is child of the one true king. My name is not regret anymore. My name is not shame anymore. My name is child of the one true king. <laughs> I, just, I just really think this is important teaching. And it's almost as soon as the Sermon on the Mount opens, which is about a whole bunch of behavior. He says, before I get too far into this thing, I want you to know who you are. You're salt and you're light. You're not called to be. You are. You are. Believe it. And if you believe it, you're closer to living it out. Our servers are coming to the table. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that um, as we come to the table this morning that we understand that all this is because of your death on the cross and any new identity that I have was bought for me at the cross. In fact, your word tells me that I've been bought with a price. Hello, Father. I've been bought with a price. I pray that you take this simple little message, but it's profound in its implications. Would you give us a grace to hear it, to believe it way down deep in our spirits? Because I truly believe that how we see ourselves determines our behavior. Father, help us believe that what you say about us is the most true thing about us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.